Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the TCVC, where I speak to leading Indian investors investing in tech startups in the country. Today with me is Ritu Verma, co-founder and managing partner at Ankur Capital. She's passionate about bringing innovation from lab to the market and did that for decades with corporates like Unilever and Philips. She has also worked globally investing in IP-led renewable technologies and holds a PhD in physics from University of Pennsylvania and an MBA from INSEAD. I had such a great time speaking to her and trying to explore the world of impact investing in India. So if you are like me and would like to learn more about what impact investing is, then this episode is for you. So let's not waste time. Let's jump straight into it. Here's Ritu. Hi, Ritu, and welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on the show. I'm looking forward to our chat today. But before we begin, how are you? And how are things at Ankur amidst all the COVID chaos that we're currently witnessing? Thanks, Akash. Good to chat with you, too. And uh, yes, these are crazy times. I don't think I've used the word unprecedented as many times or seen it used so many times. But yes, we're hanging in there and, you know, hoping to get out of this crisis as soon as we can. So let's start with your story. Where What were some of the defining moments that led you to where you are today? Talk us through some of the decisions that, that really were impactful in getting you to where you are, especially in terms of the fund, and what are the driving forces behind it? So Akash, I'm a physicist. You know, I have actually have a PhD in physics, so it's been a sort of uh, uh, a journey as to what I do today. Yeah, but I would, if you ask me what defining moments for this is that, you know, I think innovation and that's kind of, uh, it's always been part of my life and innovation and what it can and actually, you know, the opportunities it sort of presents uh, is at the core of it. I think um, for most of my life as a physicist or a, as a, you know, technical person, I, uh, you know, I saw technology as the thing that was uh, completely core. It took me a little while to realize that technology alone. So that that came from me trying to actually execute and getting things out into the market. Um, and I used to work uh, as an entrepreneur, I would say, for a large company called Unilever. And you realize that there's a lot more to it. So the blending of technology and business uh, and the opportunities that you could kind of capture through that is probably what led me to what we do today. Um, the other part that I would add to it is that, you know, at Ankur Capital, we have a focus on what I would say is on the mass market in India. And again, it was probably experiences of how how there are innovations that are, you know, market segment specific that also actually have a, you know, a very large opportunity that I got a ringside view or ringside is not the right word. Actually, a knee-deep view is the right word, um, thanks to working in a company like Unilever that throws you out into these markets um, that, that that sort of all came together in, uh, you know, somewhere behind Ankur Capital, yeah. So why a venture capital? Why, why be in venture capital as opposed to being an operator? You said you were an entrepreneur. So what was, what yeah. was the real uh, thinking behind getting into venture capital? 
So um, I think it's a question about uh, risk, right? So one is, I think, if you have that compelling idea, you go be the entrepreneur and you go do that, right? Um, but if not, right, then there are entrepreneurs out there with those compelling ideas, right? And, um, you know, there has to be a risk-taking uh, ability to be able to actually uh, build or even attempt those ideas, if I may say that. So I think uh, that's where venture capital comes in. You know, without that fuel, um, you know, you, you, you can use that as a lever, let's put it this way, to look at a lot of game-changing ideas out there. No, that makes sense. So I don't want to classify you as yeah. um, a VC or a VC firm that only makes investments um, on the impact side, but that is something that you do. The reason why I don't want to do that is because certain startups or the industry starts to look at a VC firm differently once they have that notion that it's only an impact fund. But since you do a lot on the impact side, could you define what that really means to you and what is the philosophy when it comes to investing over at Encore Capital? So we we are investing, you know, and, and glad you brought that question up. It's a, it's a broad bucket here as to what those terms impact investing means. I think what I like doing is to define it for what we do, basically. So we do something, and perhaps it falls in that category for some people, and it doesn't for others. I think our key focus at Encore is that we're looking at technology-led innovation. We have a focus on a market segment, which I would call as the aspirers and the mass market segment in India. And that has global, um, you know, repeatability as well. Uh, but uh, as, as the nature of the businesses or, you know, because the businesses are in these segments, um, you know, there is an impact on people and people's lives or, or infrastructure or, you know, other things, right? Because it's a, you know, it's a less developed ecosystem for a lot of things, which provides the opportunity as well as the opportunity for impact. So that's kind of how we take a look at it. And uh, so we don't, you know, we would actively not invest in things that create uh, harm, um, but, but we actively do invest in technologies that can be game-changing in these markets that then go on to have a positive impact. No, I'm glad you brought that up because this is my impression by speaking to a lot of um, startups as well as VCs. Within impact, there's, you know, the, the, the impression is that there's little technology risk, but more market risk that's associated when you're looking at, um, because you're kind of mostly looking at service that's at the bottom of the pyramid, uh, medium to low income markets, which tend to be termed riskier than most. What I'm trying to get, get to is that how are you, deciding what the goals of the portfolio would be during portfolio construction? So we, uh, so, so just, you know, the, can I go back to the comment that you just made here, right? We do take the technology risk, right? And uh, the, uh, the lens that there is there, so I think everybody looks at this mass market as a, as a consumption market and says, hey, okay, you know, this is how much the wallet share is and here's how much uh, they can afford to spend and you know that. So that's one lens, right? Uh, 
but 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 this is a market that engages with many different markets in different ways right and there are a lot of inefficiencies there are a lot of bottlenecks in these markets and um you know so when you say market risk it's not just about sort of consumption here there is a technology risk that we take with a lot of investments that we make so i mean uh, i'll give an example right you know we're invested in a breast cancer detection company right and it's a pure play the technology doesn't make it it doesn't matter right uh, it's about as as high a technology risk as you can get into but uh, fundamentally it's a technology that uh, can unlock this market so i would say that's where at anchor capital we do have a you know we are taking technology risks of course there are some market risks there are market risks associated with most investments but technology plays a, is a large role in that could you talk to me a little bit about the bottlenecks that you just mentioned associated in this space that don't really need the eye at the outset so i one of the sectors that we are big in here is ag and ag tech yeah right and i don't think many of us think about how that food makes it to our plate and and sort of how inefficient some of uh those processes and systems are so agriculture is a space and this is globally i'm not just talking about india uh for a lot lot a lot of parts of the world it's about the same as it was 100 years back you know there has been some technology research and imports and seeds that that has happened but if you look at supply chains right i mean the produce is it's just about the same exactly the same as what happened um you know maybe 150 60 years back so uh, there's a lot of wastage there's a lot of demand supply mismatches um you know that that just lead to uh, a lot of loss of value in that entire market so if you have to move a produce through five people half of which gets thrown out takes 5 days to show up to you and then when it shows up that's not what people want to buy you know that's an inefficiency there so these are the kind of bottlenecks where you see today that technology actually can play a very large role in you know building an overlayer building transparency building information flows that then allows some of this to uh, kind of reach a uh different equilibrium from what we are at today now one of the biggest misconceptions ritu is that when we talk about impact investing or um esgs it's it's that people tend to easily associate that with tier 2 tier 3 rural parts of the country what are the biggest misconceptions in your opinion um amongst vcs or even in the industry that you're noticing when you speak to people and at the same time how does impact investing really translate when we talk about it in the metropolitan context so i think again i think i kind of alluded to this earlier right i mean it's not just about uh, you know creating uh, you know consumption led items for these markets right and thinking of the bop and all of that right is uh, you know there there these the markets engage differently with different things and it's a question of looking at that structure so you know i mean there there are structural issues 
and then there is non-availability of uh, appropriate products and services, right? So I think, um, you know, typically people think of impact investing as just in the second bucket in which you're like providing goods and services, you know, sort of your classic thing of, um, you know, CP Prahlad about like providing sachets and, you know, uh, so that people can afford it and making it bite size and that kind of thing, yeah, right? But I think there are structural market things and that market engages with the, um, every other market, right? Global market, you know, the upper end market in India. So th this market engages in, uh, and there are issues with how this market engages with those markets. And those are the kind of areas that I would say um, are actually, um, you know, ripe for disruption. Now to extend that thought uh, one step further, I mentioned about ESGs in ESG investments being on the rise. You brought up agri-tech um, a couple of minutes ago. What are some of the other trends that you're noticing in the space, maybe from a consumer's perspective? And when you speak to other VCs, what are they looking at in the space and what are they more bullish about? Um, can you talk to me about what you've been looking at over the last uh, few months or uh, years for that matter? So I think there are two parts, right? So agri doesn't necessarily mean EFG here, right? And uh, we've seen a huge rise in interest in um, sort of agri and agri-allied areas and supply chains here, right? I think India over the last five years got $2 billion into this sector and different parts of this uh, sector, right? I think on the ESG part of it, right? So, um, whereas I think we can all talk about, uh, I, I mean, I don't think it's about the investor. I think it's about the consumer here, right? And India today is uh, still, unfortunately, uh, the consumer is not too uh, demanding about sustainability or environmentally as perhaps a European customer is. It is a more price conscious um customer yeah so that what does that mean that means that you know the added costs if there are added costs of environmentally friendly um, solutions is not something the customer is willing to pay for and that then limits um, you know that limits how that kind of plays out in ground unless you find those markets that care about it uh, and then use that as a lever to kind of drive that. So I'm not sure if I completely answered your question, but I think they're two separate buckets. Um, and uh, the, the you know, things like uh, fair trade or, uh, you know, green, um, you know, there's a consciousness of it for sure. But when it comes to your wallet, are you willing to dish the money out for that? The answer is quite no. Not, not for most, not for the larger mass of customers in India. Well, that totally makes sense. Another misconception that comes to mind is that this space is often associated, or people tend to think that it's not return focused, but only impact oriented. So, how do you, as a VC, break these myths when you're, you know, in the middle of fundraising, for that matter, and speaking to a lot of LPs? Although I'm very sure most LPs that you speak to get that get and understand this space, but you know what I'm getting at with uh, with this question. So I mean, as I said earlier, right? This is there is a, this is a broad swath here, right? I think it's simpler to talk about what you do, 
and this is what you do and you know i i i don't know many lps that don't want returns so uh, at the end of the day whether your thesis and your and your investment thesis can generate the returns um you know i mean that's just something from a strategy that any fund doesn't matter what kind of fund you are right that you have to convince your lps about and uh, you know so i think it falls in that category um i think it's a myth that uh, lps don't want returns I mean, there is a segment you're right that doesn't probably doesn't but you know that's it's a tiny segment it looks at something very different and i think it's much closer to um sort of um a different a different i would investment i would hesitate to um say that um you know that it's an investment particularly that those guys are looking for but most pools of capital want returns need returns and it's about defining a strategy for them right so how does the fundraising process for a vc firm like yours differ from that of a traditional institutional vc firm that's looked to make investment let's say in just b2b it, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't at all right we have a lot of investors who are here because you know they are invested in other vc firms we 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 present an opportunity to look at a different kind of market right so you're you're spreading your risk and looking at different opportunities that they are there and you're being presented with different options and you're looking at those different options and you're taking a call whether you want that in your portfolio or you don't so it's really actually no different so you could come to me and say hey i want to do b2b saas um you know i'm a um th- that's what i think is the place to be and here's a vc fund that does it and then a vc fund may come along and say hey i just do b2c but i'm not interested in that right so similarly you know our our usp is we look at these markets right so if you think that there's an opportunity and you think that these solutions offer a uh, opportunity to actually build out large businesses you you say okay fine right maybe i want a portfolio of um you know a bunch of uh, you know different species there right right so a big part as you mentioned is i mean returns is something that every lp um is very cautious about and also would expect from um their fund managers but how do you measure impact what are some of the metrics that are important to you and how do you as a vc see yourself playing a role in helping a portfolio achieve those targets uh akash we this is not this, we don't do that right so for us when as i said earlier we're evaluating a business up front right and we're evaluating the market segment that it plays in and the fact that it is positively or negatively kind of does and the business that they are in is aligned you know is 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 something that plays in that segment right so and is has the opportunity to be building out in that segment so i think that that's what we do if it doesn't quite fit our criteria we don't look at it so it's very uh, simple in that manner it's it's yeah, just as a traditional institutional vc firm yeah and it's just that you have a specific uh, you know it's a mandate that you're looking at right so if i'm a b2b saas vc and you come to me with a btc solution you don't fit my mandate right i don't look at you mm-hmm. because that's the strategy that i built my proposition around so similarly you know we when we get people who say hey you know i want to be selling dresses to um 
whatever, design addresses here, right? Let's start there, okay? But you know what? Guess what? For the mass market, I also put in some kurtas for like 500 rupees. I mean, you know that that's not the strategy. The company is looking at growing a market at a very different market, and our market is focused on what we call the next billion in the mass market here. And to have like, you know, 5% of your sales going there, you know, that that's not the, that's not the opportunity we're interested in. Let's be clear, right? So whereas... You know, if you if your if your business proposition or business idea is focused on this market that we're interested in, then that's the that's upfront the evaluation, right? That we would do. Right. Now let's shift gears a little bit. I mean, we all understand that creating synergies among portfolio companies, especially when you invest across the value chain, can be extremely rewarding both for the startups and for the fund. So I'm trying to understand if you have an investing trend where you know you're creating these opportunities for your portfolio companies. Is there? Um, do you keep that in mind when you're investing across the value chain, or is it you know within with every specific investment, it's it's kind of like a new sector that you want to explore and try and see how you can create value in that particular sector. So what 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 is your uh, investment philosophy and thesis when it comes to portfolio construction and correlating that to the investments that you make? So um, there is a mix of it being thesis-led and there's a mix of it being opportunistic, right? I mean, I, I like to say we're in a forward-looking business, which we all are here, right? So if, if uh, you know, there are things that are going to come up that you're never going to kind of predict. And if you're hung up on portfolio construction and you have a certain idea of what it is, there are opportunities that you will just not be part of here. But, um, you know, having said that, you know, we do have our theses of, you know, different parts, and especially in areas that we have been in for a while, where there are different parts of it. And, you know, when we construct a portfolio, you know, we don't want 90% of it going into one one of the theses, right? We'd like to be exploring all the different theses that we have. So, um, you know, I think we are cognizant of the fact of, let's say we make I don't know, um, some upstream investments in ag tech, uh, you know, we don't 90% of the portfolio doesn't get concentrated in, in the, in that sub, sub team here, really. So, uh, that, that's kind of how we approach portfolio construction. Back to your question on sort of synergies, you know, um, as an investor, you feel there are also synergies across all the companies, right? Um, to be honest, uh, I think, that it hasn't played out at the level that we would have hoped it was. So I think, again, in that part, I think too much curation at this point of time is not really not something that we can do and uh, or count on the benefits that would come out of it. So, um, you know, I, I, I we'd like, it, like there to be synergies and we do think about it, but whether that completely drives our investment decisions, the answer is no. Got it. So where does Ankur... Or what does Ankur's um, Ankur Capital's strategy when it comes to portfolio support? What are ways in which you're supporting your portfolio companies at this point? I mean, by at this well, point, I mean during you know the whole. I mean, I, I want let's treat this as a two part question. One, how did you previously do it before the whole COVID uh, situation? What are some of the things that you're doing that you used to do previously, and what are you doing right now? So we've always, we're an early stage investor, and uh, I think we're a strong believer that early stages capital alone is not enough, right? A VC plays much more of a partner support role here. So from the conception, you know, this is this has been a core 
of what we've done and we've been able to support portfolio companies. You know, uh, we've had a pretty, you know, we had an internal team called Uncle Grow focusing on marketing, uh, finance, HR, you know, that kind of worked alongside companies and sort of helping companies kind of build out their organizations and businesses. In addition to all the general stuff of sort of fundraising and BD and all of other stuff that that typically a lot of VCs do, right? Um, and that's that hasn't changed, right? But obviously, the COVID crisis is is something that is a that is a uh, you know is a is a is a really tough place for startup to be because cash is what you need in many ways to kind of ride out this crisis and that cash can either come from funding or the cash is coming from revenues and if revenues are kind of going to get impacted or funders aren't really going to be coming in then you know you're at a very high risk of survival here so i think a lot of our support here has been to the companies um, on two levels right i think one is at the entrepreneur level because it's is something uh, you know that you have to deal with, right? So how do we get spend more time with the entrepreneurs, talking through the different strategies, plan A, plan B, plan C? You know how how are you going to navigate this difficult time? Um, you know how do we how do we you know help get other people into the room that can also help you navigate and think through? You know how do you get through these difficult times? Because survival is of utmost concern here, right? I think the second is on a operational perspective, because at least in the Indian context, there has been, you know, logistics, et cetera, that have broken down completely, right, which has a severe impact um, on all of these startups. And it's an ecosystem thing, right? So our, our support of that part has been to, you know, to get you part of larger ecosystems, get players with much you know, mightier influences in getting things moving and having you, you know, ride along with them so that you can get back up and operational, um, you know, for as fast as possible, right? So I think two levels. One is much more on a, I would say, a mentoring strategic level, and the other is trying to pull in the ecosystem to support the operations. Having said all of that, I think the one thing I will say is that our portfolio is um, sort of less impacted because most of our investments are in what I would call essential, uh, you know, food and health are pretty, you know, I, I mean, they get less impacted in times like these, um, you know, than travel, discretionary spend, I, you know, com uh, businesses, that type of stuff. So, um, you know, the, the push from the ecosystem also to get them going has been higher and a lot more support than you perhaps would have for some other things. Yeah. So that's wonderful. Very few VCs can actually say that about that portfolio today. So it's good to hear. And, yeah. uh, you know, one thing I'm really curious to understand is that will this affect your investment thesis post-COVID? What, what is the kind of economic impact that you expect during this period, especially um, from an industry perspective? And how are you thinking about investments, say, 18 to 24 months from now? So this is not really going to change anything, right? I think the two things that it changes for us, one is that, you know, given how we think the funding ecosystem might evolve and get impacted by it, that runways need to be longer, 
at companies here, right? So raises and um, our investment, frankly, would be larger to just ride out this period. I mean, we are long-term investors, right? We're not short-term investors. So we still have to have a long-term view on what we think the opportunity is here, right? For us, the short term is where, um, you know, the 12 to 18 month period, that's where, you know, you need cushions. You need cushions. Uh, and, you know, from our perspective, we would be working towards those cushions, whether it's through our investments or fundraisers that our companies are doing to see how do you, how do you, how do you give yourself space to actually, you know, right out this period. But again, coming back to the fact that, you know, we're talking about all kinds of recoveries of UVs, Ls, whatever whatever floats the boat. But given the fact that a lot of our investments are in essential services and will continue to kind of be, you know, I mean, the sectors that we've traditionally focused in on, on ag, health, education, you know, they're, they're, they're all, you know, their the recoveries will be faster, in our opinion, than, um, you know, uh, you know, like for example, right? I mean, I think it's going to take us all a while to go to a restaurant to eat, right? Just, just, just from an emotional perspective, even even if all of this uh, is all cleared out, right? Until we're hundred percent confident, there's going to be a decline on group gatherings and all of that kind of activities that are led like that, non-essential travel. All those those things are going to get super impacted, and it will take longer to recover because it's a it's an emotion, right? It's a, it's a human uh, being's reaction to the situation and, you know, it'll, it'll take them time to forget, even if everything's safe, right? Whereas, you know, eating food, uh, you know, you will get sick, you will have to get to see a doctor. Those things are, you know, going to probably recover much faster. That makes a lot of sense. Are there geographies within India that, uh, stand out to you and something that you're extremely bullish about? Um, what do you mean by geographies? You mean in terms of investing? Or in like, you know, our, our, our startups are, uh, you know, all over the place. So it's, we're not geography-led, right? But uh, I think what we have seen, I think, you know, which is the hubs form, right? And the advantages of hubs are, that uh, is in you know there there are advantages to the organization in terms of talent in terms of other services etc which um, you know obviously make places like a bangalore uh, much much more um, you know a much much more of a magnet an entrepreneur anyway go there but in terms of operations you know some are global some are pan india so it's it's not a it's not a I wouldn't say it's a, it's a, there's a specific geography focus that we want. Right. Now, moving on to your portfolio, I was curious to understand a little more about um, some of the trends that you've been seeing that are developing within your successful uh, companies. Can you talk to me a little bit more about the entrepreneurs? Uh, what are some of the characteristics that really attracted you to them? And what does it really mean to be successful in this space? The last question's easy. <laughs> you have to grow, right? I mean, right. you have to grow. You have to grow. You have to, uh, you know, obviously expand your top line, raise money, you know, all of that, basically. Yeah, right. So scale, I mean, the, the definition of success is no different. It's scale. That, that's what it is, right? As to what scale do you get to? 
here and, and with what economics. Um, in terms of our, you know, what we've seen and what we've uh, kind of seen play out across our portfolio, so two parts to it. One and sort of, you know, the the kind of the macro trends that you see that uh, actually make a lot of this happen. And I think a large across sectors, the trend that sort of played out is, uh, you know, the digital penetration. Because we look at these markets, what can you do with the, the digital penetration in these markets, right? So it's a uh, unlike other times where you've had communication, but you've had like, you know, broadcasts system communications, right? You're all of a sudden talking about a smartphone penetration and a two-way conversation with an individual that couldn't be served at the, you know, the cost structures of serving that individual five years back, 10 years back was just not, didn't make any sense, right? And I, by served, I mean many ways. It reached, you know, whatever, optimized, whatever you, uh, you want to sort of call it, not just a uh, not something to consume necessarily. So I think that digital penetration and how that plays out in a very, very small fragmented market is something that we've seen. We've seen that across agri where, you know, you're taking one acre, two acre production sites, right? Large processors, small processors face huge issues of managing a supply chain, which is so fragmented. So technology, again, plays an over layer of saying, hey, I, I can kind of uh, optimize this chain. I can look and see what's happening at, you know, a fraction of the cost that would have happened earlier, right? So that's in healthcare. Again, you see the same thing, right? I was telling you about a breast cancer company. Now, the USP of this breast cancer company is that they use AI and thermal imaging to do early breast cancer detection. So a large stretch of this mass segment will never be served by mammography, right? Because not because mammography, uh, you know, the machines can't be bought. It's like, you know, you don't have the operators, you don't have the skills levels to actually do this, and those skills take a long time to build. But here again, you see the digital penetration allows software to actually pick up that cognitive load, making the diagnostic work in all sorts of different scenarios. Yeah, right. So this is a theme that I think we see uh, playing out, has played out in our portfolio, and we see that playing out even more going forward. On the entrepreneur side, I think, uh, you know, it's, you know, I mean, there's this usual entrepreneur characteristics uh, uh, that, that, that you see across the portfolio, right? I mean, it's early stage. You've got to be able to be... Um, you know, you've got to be a marathon runner, you've got to be passionate, you've got to be a hustler, you've got to be a salesperson, you know, it's just all of these characteristics that uh, I think plays out in every every one of these uh, early stage investments that th those entrepreneurs with those characteristics, you know, are obviously able to pull away with, from the pack as opposed to the ones that, you know, are missing those there. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, let's move to my next segment, which is a rapid fire. I'm going to put you on the spot and shoot some questions your way, and you can take a crack uh, answering them. How does that sound? Sounds good. Let's see what the questions are. Awesome. Um, you know, what's one thing that you'd like to change about venture capital in India? Um, I think herd mentality. That's very true. I think that's common everywhere. 
uh, hope that changes across the industry, not just in India. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's one thing that you wish you knew about investing in India, which you probably would have benefited if you had known at the beginning of your career? Just how hard things are. <laughs> so being a VC is much like it's an education game, right? <laughs> yeah, and execution, execution, and uh, you know the cha- talent challenges of talent and executing is is what I would say is the you know it, but you don't know it till you're in it. <laughs> so, what do you think most people or VCs get wrong about impact investing? Um, I don't know whether I'm I'm the right person to answer that question, right? So there there is no right or wrong, right? I mean. I think they're just perceptions, yeah. And, uh, you know, so I, again, it's like a one ticket doesn't fit all. So, I mean, that would be my... Right. And what is your suggestion to anybody who's thinking about entering this space as an investor? What, are, what, what is your suggestion? What do they need to keep in mind? Um, any, any thoughts and two cents on that? An investor into a portfolio company? You know, like, a, like a company, you mean? Or not portfolio, but any company? Oh, that's actually pretty interesting. Let's let's go with that. Uh, let's extend that question a little bit. So the first part of the question is anybody entering the impact space? And two, if any any VC is trying to invest in any of your portfolio companies, what's a suggestion that you would probably want to give them? What do they need to be mindful of? Uh, so um, uh, impact investing, I mean, I, I, I you know, I, it's again, I will go back to what I said earlier. You know, you just need to know what your thesis is and sort of what exactly you're sort of doing. Just a whitewash of the word impact investing. Just I would avoid that. Um, the uh, part on the portfolio companies is, uh, you know, um, do your own work, basically. Right. And, uh, you know, I, yeah, do your homework. Just do your homework and, you know, look deeper. Uh, again, I think this goes back to my herd mentality piece here that, you know, uh, spotting, you know, as a VC, I think your job is to be spotting opportunities, right? And and, and uh, making sure that there are opportunities by doing your homework and opportunities both from a market as well as an entrepreneur perspective as to what you sort of see. So right. I think it's important that you do your homework and that you spot the opportunities. It's a lot easier to say, hey, X did this, so I will also do this, right? Uh, but, you know, I think there's more to it than that. That's wonderful. And in one of the answers in the previous segment, you brought up the topic of scale. So as an investor, which school of thought are you from? Are you more on the burn through the money and as Reid Hoffman puts it, blitz scale quickly and trying to capture the market or more on the sustainable investing and conscious scaling side where you're about Think about how you want to scale things and do it in the right way rather than, you know, just burning through a lot of money and then trying to see what your options are. Which school of thought do you fall under? I, again, my answer is depends. There are certain businesses that have to burn through the money to get to the scale because there are network effects that kick in. If you don't get to your subscale, it doesn't right. matter right, what you're doing. So I think it depends on the business. And I think that 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 approach is completely wrong for a whole other set of businesses that if you don't do that the right way, right, you know, scale, you're you're going to implode at scale is what's going to happen because you haven't thought through what it takes there. So there are two buckets. So I, I can't say that one size fits all. 
you will get it wrong if you don't scale fast enough, where scale plays a critical role in your business model. Um, but you'll equally get it wrong where if there's a lot more operational and a lot of other things that you have to iron out, and if you build scale too quickly, you can't quite deliver on the rest of it. You can't deliver your promise. Yeah. Perfect. And lastly, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this question. What is your suggestion to companies that are fundraising during this period from a VC perspective? And um, what do you have to say to them? Hang in there. <laughs> you know, so hang in there is all I can say, right? The survivors who will come out of this will be survivors and they will. And, you know, there are enough war stories. I'm sure there's a bunch in Silicon Valley. There are war stories here of downturns in the past, right, where people have hunkered down, right? And they've said, okay, I'm not going after things that are super impossible to get to. I'm going to focus on things that I can manage and survival. And once I get through that phase, I will still exist. And that's the biggest thing that you can possibly do here, right? Uh, versus burn yourself out trying to go grab a market, which today, you know, it may not be possible at all, right? So you'll burn out doing that whole thing. So I think hanging in there and, you know, hunkering down, focusing on what you have to kind of do till people start warming up to the idea of deploying more capital. And you will also be able to find VCs who think this is an opportunity to kind of invest because, you know, it's a good, you know, there, there's not much funds in the market. So, you know, we'll find the good opportunities at good prices. So I think my, my advice to entrepreneurs is hang in there and, if somebody opportunity comes along, you know, evaluate it and go ahead. That's perfectly put. I loved speaking to you, Ritu. Thank you so much for being on the show and for your insights. I'm going to bring you back sometime next year and talk talk about, you know, how the industry has changed post COVID, and hopefully we've all made sure. it past this phase successfully. So um, thank you again, and it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks, Akash. Stay safe. Have a good day. And there you have it. Impact investing can take many forms and shapes within venture capital and it really comes down to how you define it and develop thesis around the same. Ritu's insights into how they go about it at Ankur Capital was certainly helpful in understanding one VC's perspective about the space. We'll certainly bring more VCs on the show to shed more light on it and how they like to think about impact within their firms. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave me a rating and review. It really helps others discover the show. And while you're at it, also hit the subscribe button and get these insights delivered to your phone each week. Tune in again, same place, next week, as I bring you another great guest. And until then, stay safe and keep hustling.